Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Around the Coin. Today, I interviewed Brad Levy, the CEO of Symphony. Symphony is a leading financial markets infrastructure platform built for communication. Uh, The company has raised over $500 million and has north of 700 employees doing billions in revenue. Brad and I talked a bit about Symphony. We discussed the economic direction of the world. And the conversation got into observing the patterns of the economy and the world. Uh, Brad is uh, a very well-read founder, and he's got a very unique strategic mental model for building and growing the company, which I really enjoyed. It was something I've never heard before, and I think it'll be very popular once you tune into it. Uh, I hope you enjoy this podcast. It was one of the most unique conversations, wide-ranging conversations. We discussed the the history of human beings. We discussed the patterns of, of life in the universe. It really was incredibly wide-ranging. So I hope you enjoy. The show today is sponsored by Otter Labs at HireOtter.com. You can check out a great place to find developers for your existing startup. If you're growing a team and want to bring on full-time dedicated software engineers, hiring down in South America is a great option. It's remote, so now's the time to do it. The folks down there are much cheaper than they are here in the U.S. It's on the same time, same time zone. They are fluid English-speaking candidates and very tech-savvy. So check out Hire Otter for more information on that. And I hope you enjoy the show. So just as easy as that, we are live. I'm excited, Brad Levy, to be diving in with you. Uh, Why don't we kick it off with with something a little unusual, but kind of flowing from what we were talking about pre-show, managing your day. So I I personally use Evernote. I use... uh, uh, different folders in there to categorize what I am going to do for the day, different journal thoughts, things I have for like healthcare and my car and all these things. How do you structure your your day? I mean, running companies often, I mean, literally every time, you don't have a boss that's going to tell you what to do. So on some level, it takes a level of self-organization and creativity to, to find your find your flow. How do you generally structure your day and keep organized with everything? Well, that's a good way to start. That's a, that's a third. So for 30 years, I've probably been developing a method, whatever that is, and it is what it is today. So right now I have two laptops here, one for 
like here right now that always stays one I grab and go and I know that I have two systems where I could be on a zoom and symphony or something so I have that I actually have a internal notebook I use uh, when I'm doing internal meetings and I have a client notebook and that's more on the go and I separate those so I can but I like physical notes personally I, I just retain more I understand more if I take a physical note I like the digital stuff for sure I save a lot I do a lot there um, but I also don't need another thing I need to charge, to be honest. I'm charging a lot of things. So literally, so, but I'm on the run a lot. So I have a backpack that is well-organized. I have the right notebooks. Um, I have my physical setup here at home. I have my physical setup in the office. I assume I just need to be, you know, I need to be able to work where I am. So I have chargers. I have b- extra batteries. I have maybe an extra notebook. If I know my client notebook is running light, I put the next one in the pack. You know, just little things like that, that over 10 or 20 years, I either, it either made me just a bit easy, things easier, or um, I'm like, I had an issue and I'm like, I can't put everything on the computer because maybe it's, you know, I can't, it's, I, I lost my charge. Mm. The last 10 years I've been chasing chargers in <laughs> airport. Yeah, where, where was so, the you know the promise of the uh, the remote inductance charging? There's a company called UBeam out of LA that was raised a bunch of money, and they're like, "We're going to charge your devices without you plugging them into the wall." And I'm not sure how that is going. Well, I was into step, step energy for a while, where you mm-hmm. walk and you could generate so much energy from just a step, and then that would charge things above it, like bikes and phones. But that was like I heard it. I'm like, okay, people are walking a lot, so it made sense. But no, I'm still tethered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like it'll be that way for a while. Uh, how do you, uh, yeah. of your days now, how do you tend to distribute your attention? Is it on, yeah, if you think about the kind of the highest level categories, how is it generally split? Well, I have sort of internal, external, like I have client meetings or outside meetings or just internal, and I actually distinguish them by color on my calendar simply. Red, blue, red's external, blue's internal. Then if I'm traveling, it's purple. I kind of had 10 to 20 events a day. That could be travel, could be meetings, could be this. Um, you know, I sort of wake up at five or six. I go to bed at 10 to midnight. You know, sometimes I'm commuting in, sometimes I'm home. But, you know, it, it sort of depends on the day. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday I tend to be more client because I'm in the city more a bit. Um, depending on uh, Monday, I could be traveling now. I've been traveling quite a bit, actually, the last three to six months, like getting to London, getting to Paris, getting to Miami, Boston, Toronto. So uh, that's been interesting, actually, just the logistics of getting in and out of Paris, Toronto, UK in the last like four months. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a lot of, it's kind of like a six to midnight thing. And every day is a bit unique, but I create a lot of patterns and consistency just so it's easy. Like what I wear, how I pack my notebooks, my backpack, you know, and then if I'm traveling, it's different than working from home or the city. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find you almost have to do that out of necessity at a certain level, you know, just well, between. I think it's, or- always been needed. it's always been needed, but now with this whole remote home travel, like it's hard to know where you're even going to be on any day now. Yeah. Do you see travel getting, or particularly like business, the expectation of in-person business meetings, uh, increasing significantly? I mean, is it kind of a, a sweetener? I think it'll be the same. I think I'm, I don't buy the, we're going to just zoom our lives in or symphony video. Like it, it's, I think it's going to be like more targeted, like you're going to travel and it's going to be more like when you need to travel and meet people in person, like you'll do that. And it'll just be like a more precise, uh, you know, way to travel. 
with purpose, I think. You'll travel as much. Like, I think there's the same amount of office space in Manhattan in two years. It'll just be repurposed in terms of how it's utilized. Mm. I think business travel will be as active. We'll just be more targeted. And when you really need to do it, you do it. You don't just travel to check the box every quarter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a, you can do that here. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, more purposeful and pointed. Yeah, precise and targeted, like like media. And I can now really find the song at every moment by just opening up an app and searching where, you know, that was yeah. a, that was a Napster journey in the nineties. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Crazy one. And, and how do you articulate the, you see, you're running this company symphony now. How do you articulate the mission or direction of the company? How do you think about it? Well, I definitely, I think about it in periods of time, I guess, because this is really for me personally, it's my third involvement in what I call collaboration or chat. You know, I did something between 2000 and 2008 where we built a chat system called Hub IM at a company called Communicator that Market bought in 06. And, you know, it was a chat directory. And so I was very involved in that. It failed, but it was the first sort of time I did anything in that space. Um, and then I built a market directory, which sold to Symphony in 14. So this is sort of like, now I've come to Symphony a year and a half ago. So for me, it's like a 20-year story. And I try to where it makes sense, like now maybe, like putting that 20-year context together for Symphony. Like I've been at Symphony a year and a half, but I have a 20-year arc in collaboration tech in financial services. So a lot of it hinges on identity and directory. And But now the technology's evolved. We're all talking about, you know, Zoom and, and video and chat and Teams and Slack and, you know, all these ways to interact in a in a more shared document way right? Collaboration docs, collaboration, you know, emails a bit asynchronous, persistent mm -hmm. chat is everywhere. It's DMs on Instagram and Snapchat and WhatsApp and WeChat and, right, you can DM in 25 places now with people, which is basically just a persistent LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. So, and how do you see so Symphony? Does it stack up against, I mean, do you put it squarely against uh, business financial communication tools? Or is there a, yeah, we are solely focused on financial services. So that's our, we're not in, you know, we're single for very deep. Um, and you know, our communities may be a hundred million, but it's probably 10 or 20 million users of a platform. You know, it's financial services, institutional retail, maybe professional trader, the larger communities are providers. So, you know, most of our networks, like we're a half a million to 700,000 on a network, 600,000 people. You know, that's a pretty big community in our industry, right? But it's not 7 billion people on the planet, which is what the enterprise players tend to go after, mm. right? You know, hundreds of millions or billions of users, you know, big, large company, Microsoft, Google, Slack, Salesforce, like we're tech for Finn. We're tech focused, we're tech led and finance focused. Um, so we're taking collaboration plus telephony plus identity and rolling it into solutions and settlements and new issues and loans and equities and research. Oh, okay. So, so from a consumer's perspective, this would be, the product would be so focused on fintech or financial services that there isn't- Marketing infrastructure, marketing, you know, yeah. like there's exchanges, there's over the counter, there's equities, bonds, front, middle, back office, Asia to the U.S., it's like 10 million users of people doing work in front, middle, back office, lawyers, people at exchanges, mm. uh, people like you that cover the industry, like you're part of the community for sure. Mm -hmm. um, you should be able to connect with people on Symphony or 
at least be in the community. It's it's not a heavy service. You download the app, you log on, that kind of thing. Yeah, but, you know, for others, it's their whole workflow. Yeah, yeah, and and you joined only a couple of years ago, a year or so ago. Uh, July twenty, so right in the middle of sort of lockdown summer. And and what was the company like? I mean, when you come in, I, I find it interesting when CEOs come in and pick up where where everyone, you know, not where everyone left off, but you're generally speaking, I feel CEOs come into office when there's a need for change, when there's either the, the previous CEO left for personal reasons and you just want to keep things going forward, say like the Steve's job scenario, or, yeah. uh, you know, we want to make a directional change and we want to bring in a new person. Were you in one of those two scenarios? Well, let's, you know, I actually think, you know, companies evolve, the world evolves, like things mature sometimes. So let's just put it in the, you know, mm-hmm. company was started by David Goulet, founder, a consortium of banks and, and a few like BlackRock and Citadel, and they got together and they created Symphony. <clears throat> um, you know, that was seven years ago. Um, and as I mentioned, like I had been involved in the space, you know, 20 years ago when I actually met David Goulet when he was at Reuters back in 04. So there's sort of like, there's just a bigger arc here in my opinion. And so David founded the company, built it to a point, built a great enterprise platform that needed to be deployed into the markets. So I come in as a person who comes from markets, right? I grew up in banking and syndicate and doing, I was a sale, you know, banker trader in the 90s. Then I moved to e-commerce in 2000 and took on a bigger tech market structure play, helped companies like Trade Web Market, ICE, FX All get started, whatever, join market in 12. So for me, it's just like I've joined a company that made sense for me in my time. Mm. David left at the time that maybe made sense for him, the company, or for whatever reason, right? I came in as president, chief commercial officer in July, uh, uh, and he left a year later. So we worked together. I've worked with him before. He's still on our board and, you know, a founder, shareholder. And uh, so there's just, you know, <clears throat> I, and then, you know, my CFO, Ben, who's now president and CFO and Deepmar, who's our head of tech, um, Corinna, who's our general counsel. So there's a sort of a new leadership team. Iran is our COO. He was David COO. He's now still COO of the company. We have an exec of seven and now a new sort of operating leadership of 25 including the acquisitions we just did in July, which were cloud nine and street link. So, Mm. you know, a year and a half ago, I came in in the middle of the pandemic and joined a company of 600 people trying to get to know everybody and deliver a markets focused strategy, which we call prime 23 is a method I use to create strategic planning over years, which is our strategic plan for 23 is called prime 23. It's Spartan 21, Apollo 22, prime 23. I just named them. Yeah. I love that. That's cool. (laughs) It's a three-year vision, 90-day cycle method that I built sort of in my own head like five years ago. Three-year vision, 90-day um, cycle. So there's uh, 90-day goals and you kind of like Gantt chart them over you know, time? Run like the seasons, pay people every year, run like the seasons, right? Add up three years. That's probably a horizon that you could run a business to. I do a 10-year dream, three-year vision, one-year plan, 90-day cycles, and two-week sprints. That's my 10 3 one Ooh, I like that. Ten, what do you call it? 10, 3, 2, 90 day? 10 year dream. Sorry. 10, 3, 1, 90, 2. Ten. Five numbers. Oh, I like that a lot. 10 like year dream, three year like vision, that. 90 day cycle, two week, uh, one year plan. So the one year plan is just a budget. It's like a necessary evil. You got to think two and three year increments and just keep rolling a one year futures contract on a two year 
vision, three-year vision. And I just named them. So I have Lakshmi 20, Spartan 21, Apollo 22, Prime 23, Elon 24, and Multiverse 25. That's my five, six-year, two-vision arc. And do these represent uh, directions in the in the sprints themselves, in the uh, years themselves? So multiverse is certainly the, the, an inviting word. Yeah, the, the three-year vision is like a compass that lands you in the right quadrant. Like I think in a circle, and I must be in the right quadrant, at least. Mm-hmm. I don't want to like be like, oh my God, I'm totally in the wrong direction. Or even worse, I go full circle and I wind up in the same place. Like, you know what I mean? So land in the right 90 and then, you know, move. So I just, the three-year vision just points you in that direction. The 90-day cycles are your cadence of measurement. Um, I see, yep. The three-week sprints are the execution you, you, you know, there's 12 sprints in a cycle. There's four cycles in a plan and there's three plans in a vision. I like that. Did you come up with all this yourself? Did you write about this stuff on, uh, online or yeah, just in the, in the magic of the books. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, that's awesome. Wow. That's so interesting. Who do you learn from? I mean, you must be listening to some podcasts or reading books. You're just thinking, yeah, I like that. I don't know. I'm a multimedia guy. I listen to like everything, pop culture, people like you, everything. And I just sort of steal from everybody, make it my own. And I think that's what innovation is. Ultimately, you just take a bunch of stuff together in a way that somebody didn't before. And, you know, you know, iPhone uh, app plus AWS is like, that's the combination that did 07. That was the moment. Right. So I, so I just think it's combinations over time and I have my own experiences and I build methods to just drive some strategic outcome or survival or both. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is, do you think of these as strategy or product or both together? So this would have been aligned. This is corporate level strategic. I'd name it SVP strategic vision planning. Mm-hmm. So it's strategic, it's vision driven, and it's really a plan to do like measure projects so we have like 200 named initiatives in the company that all factor into Prime 23, which the core three pillars are Blaze, Bedrock, and Fuel. Blaze is front office, Bedrock's back office. Fuel is the stuff you need to do, the workflows between it. So we just kind of name things thematically. And Spartan 21 is moving forward. Apollo 22 is takeoff. Prime 23 is getting tight. Elon 24 is disruption into a multiverse for humans, not for avatars for actual people doing jobs. Uh, I want to ask multiverse. you about, I want to ask you about this multiverse, but uh, did you, <laughs> did you make these, anyway. these acquisitions in line with this? So did yeah. you come up with this plan and then the acquisitions were just the companies that aligned with this directionally? So when I joined, I joined in July 20, um, I launched this sort of method and naming sort of into October, which I launched the alpha version of the plan in October 1st, there was beta, November and then December 1st, we called it our GA release of our strategic nonsense. Yeah, so that's yesterday. I just named it that software, right? So that was a year ago. And then the board took on the plan. You know, we presented it to the board. They said, we agree. That's our new vision forward. Then we just started to line up strategies and acquisitions and technologies that would help us get to the ultimate thing where we're just a real critical market infrastructure by Prime 23. Mm. And we were just rolling in these 90-day cycles. Sometimes we do a lot of media. Sometimes we buy things. We launch Google partnership, you know, other, many other partnerships with, you know, companies in our space. So we're partnering, we're acquiring, but it's all in line with a vision of organic growth, solving industry issues. 
organic growth solving industry issues. I got that. Do you do? But we will, but we will acquire to accelerate that growth. Right, right. How do you uh, assess companies? Are they typically inbound, or you have a team M and A department that is always looking and considering, or? I mean, before we did a corporate, div- we, we bought Cloud9 in uh, June 24th. We closed on that. And actually, one of the guys uh, is, was a corp dev guy there. So now we actually have a corp dev department, which is a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did these deals, you know, just I've done enough, my CFO, Ben. So we, we got the deals done. We're sort of self-banked. We know a lot of companies and people. Um, we do, you know, rely on people you know, saying this is interesting, why don't you look at this? But we have a view on where we're trying to go, how we segment the industry. And I have a megatech, tech for fin, fintech infrastructure providers thing, and I'll talk to you about at some point today. It's another way to define the industry. Yeah. I'm yeah. A tech for do you like the term um, mental model? Anyway, do you think of these as mental models or I'm, frameworks? I'm a rule of three, prime number, mental model. Every story has a beginning, middle, and an end kind of. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, I think that's so important. It almost tends to be the, it's almost like humans are hardwired to receive information that has to line up with a story. If it's not a story, then it's just... Well, we, but the only thing we know is story. Like we're just a memory of like experience rolling forward, right? So you can only, you're like machine learning. Like what you know is kind of what you would do. It's like, if that happened, I should go right into that hole. Mm, yeah. um, but maybe this time you should kind of go left because what happened before isn't kind of what should you should do for, right. It's that that's why we make the same mistakes, I think, because we're kind of constantly driven by what, what we're programmed by, which is our data. Yeah. 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 Now, now, now it's getting weird because it's like, not just us as individuals more, we're so connected. It's like, there's this thrust of millions together at moments, which is much different for humanity. I think yeah. this time than it's been ever. Yeah, it very much is. I, I think the interconnectedness of the economy in particular, how we, economy is even kind of a, a loaded word, but how people are thinking about- Did you read Thank You for Being Late, Thomas Friedman's book? Um, I, I'm very much aware it was, of it. Anyway, no, I haven't. In, he, in, it was 2017. He coined the age of accelerations driven by three things. It was uh, globalization, climate change, and technology, all these accelerators for humans where things seem so big and fast, but they're also happening at the same time. Like they're perfect storming up in a parabolic sort of wave that we're getting pretty scared by. The book is an optimistic view because it's like, get on top of it, try to understand it, use it, and maybe it'll work for you even. And you could be like becoming a $2 trillion yeah. company instead of hiding in your you know panic room without a supply chain. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's an but interesting perspective. But I like that age of accelerations because it's really getting fast and scary and big for one person on a 10 billion coming planet. That's very true. I feel it, it. I was thinking about this last night, actually. I'm curious your reaction that you you can't run a company now, even if it's a five person, 10 person company, it doesn't matter the size. You can't run a company and be, and be okay with staying the same. That it, it's almost like the nature of the acceleration or the nature of, well, I, I uh, think pushes you forward. I think all good companies have always needed to move forward. The difference now is you actually have to look left, right, and down as you're like, I think it was more verticalized. Like you could be a newspaper company and you had to do good newspaper stuff, but th- you know, so it was moving forward's always been a requirement because if you're not forward, you're dead. Like there's no stasis. Stasis is death. It's mold. Mm-hmm. Right. I just, mm-hmm. 
can't stand still. It's not physically possible. Like if you're not moving forward, you're going backward. The earth is spinning. Mm -hmm. Like the sun's coming closer. Warning. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's going to, yeah, one day, man. Know, five billion years, I think. Five billion years. You know, we'll, you know, Elon will get us off of this thing. Yeah. Um, so uh, anyway, I just think of it like it's so much more complicated now because it's like orthogonal. Like it's this insanely complicated web of complexity of everything. And we, I think the West got comfortable for 50 years sitting on a very complex web that is now needing investment even. Uh, whether it's the physical infrastructure or the, or the people that need to innovate. Yeah. And the education system. And, right. So I think there's just a complexity to it that you still have to grow, but now you have to grow in like nine directions simultaneously to survive against the big companies that are just gobbling up everything. Do you ever hear the, um, there's this good parable in, uh, some old text. I forget what it is. Maybe you'll recognize it. Uh, I'll have to include a link in the show notes, but the, the story goes like this is that there's people in this town and there's a well up in the town and everyone gets their water from the well. And eventually the well becomes owned by somebody. Somebody takes control of the well and they charge a tax for every time someone wants to take the water out of the well. And then after they get big enough, after this, this person who's taxing people gets big enough, they start taxing so high, eventually the water dries up and everyone in the town freaks out. So people go out and explore and other people find a new spring and they come and they dig it and they turn it into a well and people come and the person who discovered the well now owns it and is taxing other people. They build a fence around it. And then the same thing happens. It starts to dry up again. And so people go and they look for a new well. And I kind of think of that story by analogy is opportunity. The well, the water is the opportunity. And if I think of America's story, people came here looking for what? Opportunity. Because there was an open space where they could create and there was minimal crustacean, minimal... Um, uh, Let me give you the one other side of that. Yeah. Maybe they were also running away from something. Mm. So the people that went out and innovated because the well dried up, were squeezed so hard that they had no choice but to flee and go find another water source or explore and take risk. So maybe they weren't explorers. They were like, we got to get out of here. We're being persecuted or they're just not allowing us to be who we want. So, and we're feeling squeezed off the top of an Island where it's like, if you look at like over millions of years or tens of thousands, sort of North Africa, Europe, like there's been a movement of people. Like I love the book sapiens because it's the first time I really, anybody's laid out that, the migration of plants and dinosaurs and people in a very simple way. And I just love the book because it just gives that baseline of 14 billion years to 2 million years to 10,000 years to like, and then it, the next one. But anyway, it's, yeah. I think it's that sort of squeeze or we may also have a natural interest in what's over there either. Cause I'm scared of it or I'd like to go grab it. Yeah. Did you ever hear this? And it's uh, like a planet. And, and, and then we're just like, there's a book Novacine now that talks about we're in the age of Novacine. It was the Gaia theory. A guy wrote the same book in 72, the Gaia theory, James Lovelock. It's my new obsession on book. I don't read a lot, but it was, it's a cool pamphlety. And the book, and he's 102 now, but he just wrote a book called Novacine in 19 about, <clears throat> I can't go too deep. It's too long, but um, <laughs> the, the, the earth is the Gaia and it's one giant system, right? And we're multiplying and spreading to the point and using tech where we've transformed the planet and it's heating up. So we're going to go, like we're going to have to leave and that's going to be a tech that will work symbiotically with, and then we'll escape together, which is really right now it's biology, then biology helped with tech, then tech and 
biology symbiotic and then the biology will have to go away because it's too hot and then some tech-led biology will escape earth and spread through the cosmos that's kind of the gaia theory plus novacine 1972 2019 Mm. two books so i just think everything is like a push pull or a squeeze grab everything is a duality a multiverse yeah i like that a lot it it almost begs the the question of where where does that go when it goes out so you know shooting out there's this metallic based technology layer uh has that happened already are we have you heard of the pansperma panspermia theory where it's like uh initially there's life on a few number of planets and then it's just blasted out into all of the universe and so here it's like fertile ground it landed here and there was the right combination of volcanic activity and that's what this that's what gaia nova scene is it's it's this is really unique it's the it's sort of you know like it, either we're so narcissistic that we think this can't be anywhere else or it's so complex that this is truly a moment that couldn't replicate anywhere else in the existing universe so the gaia is one unique system that we will then create a new form of biology tech that will then get out into the cosmos and really get out there. And if we ever see it here again, it's probably that looping back around through that kind of interstellar. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And who knows how many times it's already happened. Pretty. Exactly. And the simulation theory and all that. Yeah. Insanity. I find this stuff actually pretty important nowadays. I, I sense there's a, a pretty strong lack of, attachment people have to reality in a sense of like purpose. Um, you know, it's like people work really hard and they, they've historically, I'd say the last few generations, I think of it as you're working really hard to get to baseline where you have enough food, you have a house, you're not going to die. You're not, but here's the thing. I think it's a ratio game. You're one. And there used to be 2 million people on the planet, you know, in 1959 or whatever, there were 3 billion people on the planet. You're still one. You're one over many. And as that does this, we get more specialized, compartmentalized, and even meted in a immersive, weird way mm-hmm. <laughs> where we're filtering and going more into our COVID cave. Yeah. It's like a calamity of, you know, immersion that we're not maybe going to come out of. And it is ready player one, you know. <laughs> it's the loop into that. So I, I'm hope I don't, I think it might be cause it's inevitable. And that's what the Nova scene says. It's this loop with tech is happening and then we'll just be one. We'll protect each other for a thousand years, a minute, whatever it is. And then these spheres will escape, which will have our knowledge, but we'll be so much more efficient at taking sun, converting it to data, to tech, to spheres, to gone. Yeah. It's literally that's the point. Yeah. yeah, man. A lot of these, a lot of the, the description patterns you're laying out here feel like, I it was funny. I, I just moved to Portland, Oregon. I was down in LA for six years and Portland is one of the leading centers for psychedelic research. And they put out different, um, you know, pieces yeah, on what fantastic they're like. Fantastic fun. Oh yeah. Another Great one. Document. It's like the patterns are the patterns that you perceive in some of those experiences are the same things that we're describing from the, the economy and the world and the earth. And it's, but if you think about trees, bees, and mushrooms, on the planet like that's like you know the amazon the bees are going away they're important and the the mushrooms seem to run the planet like it's like the thing beneath everything and the thing that that survive as a is it a plant is an animal and that's that fantastic fungi documentary whatever but 
And then psilocybin is almost like, eat this and it will make you understand what this network of mushrooms is that is running the planet underneath the trees, which the bees make, you know. So just think of those three systems on the planet as a, in the Gaia. And you're just a human running around trying not to get stung in the shade because it's freaking hot. Yeah. And the mushroom, eat that one and you're chilling and drinking and eat that one and you're dead. Yeah. Yeah. What's amazing to me is that they like our, our meat suit, our bodies as humans, we're able to so much disassociate from all that stuff. Like, you know, you can, that's the, that's the neuron. That's the electricity plus the biology creating this like awareness that is creating tech that's escaping the planet. Yeah. Okay. That are getting out, right. I think that's the loop of Novacine. I keep coming back to the book, but yeah. Um, and do you loop this in with, uh, the metaverse vision or the, uh, the metaverse? I loop, um, everything in with every- I loop everything in with everything. That's my theory. I'm one me. I just keep looping everything in with me and it's a story or whatever, you know, it's always taking like that book, that movie, that experience, and just tying it into my story. Because what else would I do? You, you and should, then that creates something new. Maybe I don't. You, you should read a book. There's a good book called The Strange Loop or A Strange Loop, uh, mm. which uh, Hofstetter is the author. It's kind of a, about this this concept. It's a uh, it's it's tough to say whether it's fiction or non nonfiction, but it's definitely future based science fiction. Yeah type stuff. I, I just believe in, I believe in circles and cycles and many, many intersecting circles and cycles and Venns and triangles and GP. Like I just think in those geometries, not think, I don't know that sounds uh, pretentious. I don't think, I just think I just try to, I, I try to create patterns, see them, keep them in threes, relate, you know, nine Venns of 27 circles to each other and then predict, you know, three to five years out and try to land a sustainable plane. Yeah. <laughs> land a sustainable plane. Uh, I'm just, yeah, I'm very, very, very ESG. What's the, what does ESG stand for? Uh, environmental social governance. Oh, got ESG. It. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But I do believe like the centralization of a lot of things on the planet are very inefficient climate and we're moving to the edge and distributed because it's just less hackable, more, you know, energy efficient. You know, that's another thing I think about. Do you, do you think we're part of that? Do you think the um, the the climate change talks are um, and talks just being the the concern for the climate changing so much so that it pre- pre- presents an existential threat to humans in particular? Is that do you view that as a something to use as just momentum to make this change, or do you view this as like a real threat that we really might not make it out of? Yeah, I think, again, if you read Novacine, it's inevitable. So we're just, no matter what, it's heating up and we got to go. In 4 billion years, we're in, right? In maybe a million years, it's too hot. Maybe it's a thousand, maybe it's a hundred. It's hard to know. But it's heating up and the biology will have to transform or go. Uh, and it just will, it will be Venus here. It won't be sustainable for life. Like it will just be too hot mm. or mercury or whatever. Like, so that's the book. So I kind of believe in that like base idea that eventually we're not going to be able to sustain human life on earth. Yeah. It's just a matter of time. Call it, call it, call it 5 million years out just so I'm not think you know, I'm not, but the, you know, it is heating up, I, but also there's a lot more people on a planet that's not making more real estate. There's a lot of old infrastructure we move closer to the edge of the ocean and places that flood. And we do 50 year math when we need 500 year flood math or 5,000 year flood math. I lived in Boulder, Colorado and moved. I actually moved from Jersey when, after Sandy hit, sorry, before Sandy hit. So I missed Sandy in Jersey, but when I moved to Colorado and then I moved back to Jersey and I missed 
the Great Boulder Flood, which was like a 5,000-year flood in Boulder in uh, 2013. Whoa, I don't remember hearing about this. What flood? Exactly. Just, uh... you don't even, you don't, it was 26 inches of rain in a day or something. Oh, shit. That's insane. And it came right through the Rockies into the middle of Boulder, and it was 20 feet under, and you know it was a washout. Uh, we had 400 people in Boulder at Market, where I worked prior to Symphony. Wow, that's insane. Yeah, by the way, you know, weather calamities, uh, kind of real terrorist events, and market calamities have basically been my 30 years of what's kind of informed me, you know, just kind of driven me a lot, or at least made me you know, what I am, I guess, or scarred me or. Yeah. You know. I think give you perspective. So economic weather and what was the third one? So weather calamities. I was, I was, I was at Lehman brothers in 93 when the first trade center bomb happened. And I was at downtown in 01 when that happened. And I was in 2018, I was in the port authority when a small device went off. So I've just been now three, you know, kind of terrorist events. I didn't, you know, I lost people. I was around nine 11 in a hard way, but you know, I've just been around those events, you know, uh, a couple of times personally. So that's had a big impact on me, especially nine 11. And what, what do you, what did you feel say after the dust settled, so to speak, uh, you know, a couple of years out, do you feel like it, it shifted your perspective? I was, I was supposed to be at a, I was supposed to be at a waters technology conference at windows on the world on nine 11. So, and my boss canceled, I didn't go. So we missed it and everybody went. So that was terrible. Um, I was there physically for the event and I was, yeah, it took me 10 years to kind of, you know, really get away from it, like, you know, a little bit. Um, you know, but I definitely, you know, embrace it on some level because I think it's important to know. Yeah. Yeah. uh, And people who, you know, I love a lot of people, brokers and firemen, police. I just knew a lot of people in different ways or connected people, uh, just in the tri-state area. I knew a lot of cops and firemen. I knew a lot of brokers, you know, technology people were at a conference I should have been at. Yeah. Yeah. What I, yeah. I also, I was living in Connecticut at the time. I was in math, math class at freshman year of high school. And I, I, I just couldn't appreciate what was going on. I, was, I almost felt yeah. just too young to even appreciate it. But yeah, the more I, the, well, in, in 93, I was at Lehman brothers and I was sitting in the corner of three world financial when that bomb went off, we were right next to it. And we're like, Oh, well, that's a lot of smoke. And, uh, so that was the first time they tried, you know, the, 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 you know, somebody tried to take down the tower. Yeah. Do you feel like this is still, um, a, a real, I mean, it's so hard to know. So I'm not looking to you for a definitive answer. Here. I think there's an escalation of world conflict and yeah. that's just a cycle yeah. that's really challenging, hard to stop, hard to understand where it might manifest, but there definitely seems to be a global conflict kind of theme that's bubbling since probably the sixties. Yeah. Yeah. Probably even before that, uh, just in well, well, after the world war two, like it kind of cooled. I kind of feel like the seventies, it heated up with certain parts of the world, you know, kind of communism and that's bubble, you know, all those things are still shifting around and there's certainly geopolitical challenges uh everywhere yeah and even to your earlier point i think of the tension from the highest level of, say china versus many parts of the western world is this decentralization versus centralization of power and it's the competition between those well, I, we, we integrated symphony with wechat and whatsapp it's, oh, it's wow. very different dynamics it's very different technologies it's very different rules it's very different markets and people on the other side of those platforms so you know, we deal with that tension. I mean, I was at Goldman and market and we dealt with a lot of, you know, East West and how do you do business globally? But, you know, so the difference, we're not the first, the difference between WeChat and, and WhatsApp is that WeChat will uh, take your data without telling you. And then WhatsApp 
or no, sorry, the other way around. WeChat will, will you'll know that your data is going to the government, whereas WhatsApp will will say it's not. You know, I, I believe I'm a zero. I'm a zero trust guy. I just assume if you type it somewhere, somebody could get it. Yeah, everything's hackable. Everything's hacked. You know, the government will have it if they. You know, it's just. I just think people are again. I think there's a false sense of security on some of these things, and then an immersion in it, which is a double kind of threat. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I just think it's just a different dynamic. The rules are different. The technology, you know, and people run their lives on WeChat. Right, really, I mean, the, WeChat's a social facade five years ago, sort of, and now they, like, you run a lot of applications inside of WeChat or around it, where WhatsApp is one application in Facebook that does a, a few things. So it's a different, it's just a very different platform in a different market with a different culture and different rules. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you guys do any business uh, in China? Are you live in China? Um, I mean, we're not really on shore, but we are in Asia for sure. We have a big presence in, you know, if, uh, you know, 50-ish people across Hong Kong, uh, Tokyo, and Singapore. Um, in Australia, small presence. And um, we have a new head of APAC, uh, Marie Patton, going out there in the middle of the year. And, you know, we, you know we're, we're, I'd say, more offshore, working with uh, players that want to do onshore or relate to Hong Kong, China, so HSBC and you know, some of the more regional banks or city, you know, or JP Morgan, you know, doing global business locally. So it's not, you know, I wouldn't say China is a big focus for us, but we do spend time on it. We have some presence around it Mm -hmm. uh, just because of the, you know, the, you know, the markets are blending and interacting more. So we're just part of that bigger industry movement. Let me ask you this question. Uh, What do you think about the, the, I'd say in the last year and a half, two years, there's been a big social push that, that, has happened to companies uh, declaring certain value judgments, um, moral moral claims on like, uh, you know, the whole, I think if you blur together like Occupy Wall Street, maybe Black Lives Matter, the move of, of trans rights, um, very progressive policies, you're seeing many companies and not even just companies, but museums and organizational bodies like the NCAA uh, take very... Um, outwardly facing declarations of what they believe, and they're they're far outside the spectrum of what the organization is, you know, mission to do. Like Nike will come out and you know be very strong for trans rights or something. And uh, Coinbase, for instance, gave a, a different framework. They said we're going to focus on crypto. We're going to be very loud with crypto policies, but we're not going to ha- we're not going to support or allow in our, you know, public discord inside of, you know, whatever tool they're using for communication or publicly. We're just not going to comment on any of that. And um yeah. There was a strong reaction to that. So a lot of people are really in favor of that. They had a lot of people quit and leave over that. Um what's your what do you make of all that? Well, I mean, at the headline, it's complicated, no doubt, right? It really is. And I think, you know, just to make one thing clear, at least from my perspective, companies are not people, right? Companies are made up of people. I think when you start to, and even the political contribution world, and there's a big debate, like, can you contribute so much as a corporate in political world that you can basically get votes, right? You know, do you become a person in a voting system as a corporate entity? And that debate's been going on a long time, right? So I think if you just start with the point that companies aren't people, I think you take a little bit of a different view of what a company is supposed to do, right? Because then what is a company? It's made up of people, right? That's different, that sell, that do jobs and sell products. So 
I, I, I think on some level, companies should have some responsibility to do what's right most of the time or all of the time. But there's a bit of a self, there should be a self-cleansing mechanism to companies that don't do good and don't build good stuff and don't take care of the environment. I'm sort of a capitalist in that way. Like, they'll be worked out of the system. Yeah. Right. And certainly now, you have to appear to at least care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You have to appear to care about your people. Yeah. First, because your people are your company and they face everything and build everything and do everything. And I'm really, a, I believe in that, you know, Goldman taught me a lot about your people are your company and that's it, right? They're the assets. And if you start there, you know, product gets easy, clients love you, you acquire well, all those things, right? So I think that's an important thing. And then, you know, I think it is, you have to be careful about, I'm a separation of church and state or professional and uh, personal. I like do like dividing lives. I think people do need separation, if you put your whole life in your company and you leave them, then you're, you know, done. It's like if you get divorced in life and, you know, maybe all the friends go with the spouse, right? You kind of Diver- right, diversify you know, your portfolio. Yeah. yeah. A little bit. So I think there's an element of, um, of that, but I, you know, clearly there's so much transparency now that you have to be authentic. <laughs> can't really fake this stuff, especially if you've said a bunch of insanity for the last 30 years. Like, it's hard to say, I, I changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've done it a couple times over 10 or 20 years, I'm fine with that. Like, I don't care. And by the way, I'm fine with anything. I don't care about much of anybody's personally. I'm like, if somebody's company is offending me, I'm going to try not to use their product. Yeah, that's the ultimate vote. And I think that's the pressure in favor of I and that will work through in a Darwinist way, but that Darwinism probably takes too long because that could be like 50, hundred year evolution cycle of companies and governments and, and, and employees and clients need to kind of rally or rev, you know, be revolt. You know, I don't, th- I don't, I'm not a, I don't think people should be canceled as easily. Maybe I think that's a, I think there's a little bit too much, too quick, yeah. too little. But even to your point, cancelization comes out in the form practically of removing someone from a social media profile or, or just attempting to get them fired from some company. Um, yeah. I like the idea of saying, I'm not going to use that and maybe I'll get a bunch of people on my side. But when you start to really try to just take somebody out of the world, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. That's just, you know, and technology is an interesting thing because it's creating this capability of productivity, but it's really is a dangerous tool at times. Yeah. It does seem like if the attitude is to try to wipe away your competitor and the competitor could be an intellectual competitor, it could be you know, a physical competitor, whatever it is, uh, there has to be a level of humility to this situation that we all find ourselves floating around a you know, mid-sized rock in a galaxy. It's like, if you want to destroy, you need the opposition. Like Democrats need Republicans. The communists need the capitalists. You need the opposition. But let's assume assume there's an element of you can't be in perfect, like balance opposition. Like there's a caveman, caveman. Somebody's winning. Yeah. And it's almost like a wrestling match of bear, you know, bull or east, west or communist. Like, and it's over time, the cycles just wrestle and the planet's fine. Our presence on it goes through weird times of pandemics and war. And, you know, by the way, life in, you know, if I live in where I live right now, I'm having a very different experience on one Gaia, one planet than somebody in South Africa right now. Oh, yeah. Hugely. Hugely. But we're in the same system and that's affecting me because now it's, you know, you know, I can't travel as much, whatever, because that event, like, 
20 years ago, you wouldn't have even known that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There would be totally different worlds. No communication. If you, now, yeah. If you have no communication, if you have no way of even getting there, interacting with that person. So the information is creating this loop that the Nova scene talks about. That's this, but it's actually creating innovations because we're being forced because the planet's heating up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That seems very much spot on. And the timing of it is just pretty fascinating. Like the timing of, oh, we discovered uh, Bitcoin, we invented blockchain, and now it's exploding. And it's happening exactly. Is it an accident or is it a system design? That's what the theory is. It's just a system spinning up into something that's got an inevitable outcome. It doesn't, to me, it doesn't intuitively feel like a, a designed a, when we say design, it would be design. Design implies that there could be other ways that it's structured. To me, it seems like it's, I think it's, I think it's a series of interactions that is creating an outcome that's highly predictable. Yeah. 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 At least, you know, the predictable outcome potentials, you know, we could all blow it. High probability, high probability, the planet's heating up and we got to go. Right. Right. Now, can we do things to prevent it or make our life better on it or slow it down? Maybe. Probably. Yeah. And, and, and the interaction between everybody on the planet seems like the exponential degree at which things move forward now. Um, and, I, and I think the number is 10 billion people by 2050 or something. That's a lot. 20, where are we at now? Like nine, eight? Seven, seven, seven. point five. Seven. It was 2.9 billion, like in the 50s, I think. So it's really, you know, and those are big numbers getting, and then it's just a lot of people on the planet that, you know, is the resources are pretty constrained. Okay. So when we go and we colonize Mars, we terraform it, we're living up, we're hanging out in Mars. How do you, and, and we want to grow. How do you, uh, how do you communicate faster? You know, I can't imagine there's really a quantum eight. Oh, you think that's the move? Yeah. All right. All right. All right. I, don't, I never thought about that, but I believe it. Yeah. Qubits, whatever the heck yeah. those are. We'll figure out that technology down the road. Yeah. Not by we, they, somebody else. And we'll talk about it like on some podcast in a year where we sound not smarter, but we'll sound more Qubity. Yeah. <laughs> and it's amazing. Even like when you think about the business you're running, how much of it you have no clue what's actually happening. From, Ten year dream. Yeah. You know, you're all. I do. Think about, I think about 2030. What? I just can't impact it. I could just land in it with a sustainable family. Have you shared what the 2030 is? I think the East is, you know, I think the economies have tilted in favor of just where the numbers are and where the growth of a middle class is. I just think there's an inevitability that there's a very large population between India and Indonesia uh, and China that's just going to create a very big economic outcome that will at least create a very big balance economically between the East West. I think, I do think the world starts to run East North South again mm. versus this way. Like I think internets and supply chains will run more by the natural order of ocean and river with this going on more intermittently. I think we'll be at the edge more than in the cloud. Mm, I like that at the edge more in the cloud you know, at the IOT. Man. Yeah. It, it feels like by 2030 for sure. And quantum will allow you to replicate databases simultaneously without a single data source, but knowledge that it's, you know, it's right and can't be broken by some, you know, it's a, it's a quantum proofed encryption blockchain thing, whatever that. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, the one thing we, we absolutely can't change that I can see is the sun, is the earth rotation around the sun. So actually there's a business that I, I run that connects people down in South America with North America, particularly developers. And, but it builds, we built a community down there and 
And I so much believe in the, you can't replace time zone. So you can have, you can have a uh, price exploitation. It's going, north, it's going north. It's going north, south. I have absolutely no doubt. Yeah. We will yeah. be South America, Latin America, Canada aligned. It just, it's just, and you're seeing it now, the supply chain challenges are, it's just very, very tough. And you know, the company, you know, they're backed up in California, get them through the canal, put them over to America on the Boston, Miami side. But like, just if we're running more this way, you could just take much more advantage of your time zone. I don't know if you've ever tried to like row across or, you know, a river or an ocean, like it's really hard to go like cross current. Have you tried so, to row across an ocean? Actually, I worked with a guy at market who did row across the ocean, like literally. Which one? Atlantic? Um, yeah, they did a eight-man crew, uh, 40 days, four people on, two hours on. And it, his name is Yakov Mutanakis. He's one of the most interesting guys I've ever known. And they rowed across. They tried three times. It's like a, It's like one of those epic, you know, they rode across the ocean in 40 days. Wow. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So no, but I, yeah. I'm just talking about yeah. cross currents hard and you just look at like water, you know, it starts up here, it flows down Canada through, right. It's just very, you know, you go, you know, railroads and highways go East, West rivers go North, South oceans are natural borders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it just, and then inter- and internet's almost seem like they're lining up that way and providers of big tech and, resource companies between Australia and China and South America and the United States and Canada. Do you, do you, uh, draw a, can you, or have you thought about drawing an investment thesis based on this sort of world vision? Uh, well, I'm doing a job where I have to think about working in the East differently than the West. And I'm obviously skewed to the West because it's the major markets like New York, London. It's, we're a company that was, you know, we're in France uh, New York, Sunnyvale, uh, London, Paris, you know, we have a pres- a large presence in Asia, but we're a Western company working in Asia. Um, so I have to think about it, you know, for that reason, culturally, geopolitically, regulatorily, technologically, uh, you know, down to hardware security and identity management and privacy rules. Mm. Um, so yeah, so from, and then in life, I feel like I need to think about it because I live and it's kind of a dynamic playing out on the planet. And even after I'm long gone from symphony, I think I care about like the planet and my presence on it and my, my people, like my network of people that I care about. So this would be not everybody. I care about everybody on the planet, but I really care about like a couple, you know, people like my children and, you know, my, like all of us, we tend to root with like our core because that's what we need. And that's what supports us when we need it. Yeah. You concentric circles going outward. Yeah. I mean, it's just who's like your neighbor's going to help you if your house is on fire. It's just kind of the natural order of physical coexistence. Yeah. 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 We're never going to remove the physical aspect, but do you think about investment as in, um, you know, a simple vanilla version of this would be, uh, that, that climate change is happening. So I'm going to invest in green tech, but is there more of a, or, or say more take well, the just, north, um, south? Yeah. Number one, I, I do think, um, we chat WhatsApp. I have to think differently. I think because we are a remote work company, like we allow people to work remotely. We work at the edge in, like, I think I'm at the IOT and I'm trying to create purpose of centralized workflow when needed and leverage cloud to do that without a lot of infrastructure, but make it secure. So I think we are an ESG play a symphony. I think we're going to help lighten the techno- the energy load of everything centralized versus now things being distributed Satoshi style. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's going to the, 
encrypted edge of blocks and chain recorded simultaneously everywhere. And then you'll come together to transact and then leave to be back at rest. Um, and so I think Symphony's part of that movement of, you know, I don't think we're going to, Symphony's not going to save the planet from warming, but I do think we're a small part of moving to the edge where it's more efficient instead of putting everything in the middle where you have to come and go constantly. How does, how does the blockchain mention there fit into Symphony's strategy? Is there a deliberate? Well, I think, you know, if we're, you know, they're about, I would say, distributed data. We're about distributed network of people. Think about their blocks. They have a block of data, like a loan with a smart contract on it. We have a person that needs to access that. So we're a remote user in a distributed system that needs to access that loan and has an identity that says they can open up that smart contract or have the key to access the collateral in that loan. So I'm the people in blockchain. Just I like that. Go with me. I like that. Um, I like that. And there's loans in blockchain, and then there's actions in smart contracting. So I think of the DLT space as like cousins to collaboration. Interesting. Done remote, like you know, where we're working at the edge in our community in our enterprise in our federated network of goldman to blackrock to jp to custody to to other provider you know so i think it's that um you know we're just edge in we're distributed you know it's like we're like a tiktok or an amazon like come on and show a dance come on and buy a book mm-hmm. come on and do a chat but now we're finding you know we already have a thousand use cases beyond chat and a million are coming right it's just the first thing we did with the distributed network of people was chat. And now Symphony's moving into, you know, we've well moved well beyond that in the last seven years, obviously. Yeah. So chat was the first foray and then it, it just spiders into everything else. And screen share, file share, you know, uh, bots, we have 2,500 bots that run on. So it's, you know, it's this network of people doing work that get automated into, you know, interaction pulled instead of uh, pushed or told what they want based on context. Mm-hmm you know, inline workflows, not, you know, reducing context shifting, you know, taking ops data out. Do you think it's possible that you, because if I think about it conceptually, what, what Symphony is doing, you're, you're building the intelligence layer of how people are communicating to each other and working together. Is this something that you could line up with? Like, I think we're building the identity layer with workflow tools and an ability to get to intelligence and data right, where we can weave OCR, NLP, ML, you know, we don't know the document you're ripping apart in OCR and putting through NLP, but we know we can get you to the place to do that and then open it up to the right person to see it. But we simply don't see any of that. So we definitely help people do intelligent work. An intelligent network is more of a data platform, really, or like we're working with Google, in my opinion, on that whole data world and thinking about how we might, you know, leverage a lot of unstructured data into structured work or compliance or business uh, data science to help power up your client franchise. Mm. So I think it's, um, you know, we are definitely a network of identity of people doing work, partnered with others doing work up or downstream or in between, and then leveraging in best of breed intelligence in OCR, NLP, V to T, AI, DL, you know, all the, whatever the acronym is on the, I call it the data what's, uh, spectrum of data. What's, what's V to T and DL? I've never heard those. Uh, voice to text and uh, deep learning. Deep learning. Got it. Got it. But to me, like the right before AI is an outcome, you have deep learning. Inside of deep learning, you have machine learning. 
inside of machine learning, you have like voice to text NLP, you know, voice to text to NLP, you know, inside of V to T is OCR, like OCR, V to T, NLP, ML, DL, AI as an outcome. Mm. Probabilistically saying this is likely, encrypt it, show someone that you can decrypt, do a task, do a chat, send it, execute it, buy it, sell it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go back around in a loop. Of back, to the loop. And tap. back to the loop. Back to the loop. It's all looping. I, just, I, got, I know my career is looped three times in 30 years, and most people I know are looping or, or not here. So Yeah, and in the, in the career of looping would be you're, you're, you find a common thread. So you're working in like chat or, or communication networking, and then you're back in it again. Like five, 10, 20-year kind of career, you know, like... I think of like five, 10 and 20 year sort of industry generational moves. And then I have like jobs in three years, mini careers in five and real careers in 10. Like that's kind of another nonsense number thing. I do. Mm. Um, do you feel like the COVID situation is a loop in some way, or there's a, uh, oh, yeah. a story to pull it's out certainly of it? A catalyst. catalyst. Yeah. Oh, or if the catalyst, it's probably a warning that we're a little bit weak on protecting ourselves from anything. Like we may be over, medicated and under dude you know what you frustrates know, me is which I, I wish there was just more talk about in the particularly like by the cdc or government just saying number one taking too many be healthy we're taking too much out. yeah you know it's like what we're, just, we're, even, we're even masking we're meta we're like filtering like take an advil uh you know take this for your rheumatoid we're, we're not curing a lot we're taking a lot of antibiotics which is losing our ability to use antibiotics and I think we're becoming like a bit of a bubble people that's Purelling that can't defend ourselves against like kind of common colds or, you know, obviously something pretty threatening like COVID. So, Tell me if this makes sense. I don't know. Tell me if this makes sense. So uh, this is a thought that just came to me. So, uh, so, so capitalism is the, uh, is the structure of working together where people can trade freely. And when people form companies, those companies want to help people because they get paid for it. They get paid in capital or currency. When those companies get large, they try to create problems that don't exist so they can solve them and then make money. The attempt to create the problem can be seen as a manipulation to what your true interests are. So in the beginning, they're actually solving a problem you have, but in order to sustain their own life as that organization or organism, they want to create more problems. So this would be like, for instance, I'm not saying this is literally happening, but there is a definite monetary incentive for drug companies to have people be sick, to have there be a virus. And the uh, and, the, and the, the pushback that happens is that they, those companies will, this is not anyone individually doing anything wrong, but those companies will go as far as they can until people realize, until people's um, internal Capital, system Capitalism relies, relies on a pushback of another yes, system yes, yes. To, to, to correct the gyro. I kind of believe that democracy and capitalism is the way to be the most innovative and prosperous, but maybe has more volatility built into how much the gyro may sway. Yeah. Cause it relies on sort of like a rise up and a move away from that. Right. It's got this p- pendulum gyro feel to it. Whereas like other models may be more, you know, communism, socialism, they're designed to keep people sort of more even less volatile provided for, but then ultimately all systems I mean, I, I'll show you another thing I wrote in my book. It was one of the first things and one of my big theories that means Is this on a psychedelic trip or 
You just sit. No, no, no. That's that's podcast number two. <laughs> Hold on. Let me see if I could find the page. So. Uh, okay. See that? Corruption, Ponzi scheme, unrest, rest. So it's it's rules are created that equal order. If you add, and I formularize a lot, so then plus time equals corruption, which you then get sort of Ponzi to unrest to reset to new rules. And then the cycle just repeats with the new rule set. And, you know, sometimes the population drops because of what happened. Sometimes there's just a shift in power. Ultimately, it always, the system will always be governed with humans by who controls the system. Yes. The system. And what's the incentive for those people to keep themselves in that place and grow their position of, you know, wealth, control, resource, whatever. That's a natural and again, that's where Darwinism, capitalism, that, that's where Darwinism to me meets all of these things ultimately. Yeah. And resources. And it almost seems like the, there's, so there's a, there's different levels of performance that different organizations, these speak gov- governments or companies. But when you're running these companies or, or governments, you, there's a few people who make decisions. So the, that question I think about is what, are, what are the set of principles or rules or mental models should someone use to run a large organization, given that you could exploit it, you could take the short-term games and that's corruption. And, how, and if your goal is to maximize long-term benefit, how do you, how do you do that? I, I think all good systems are based on trust. Right. If you want to create an economy, people have to be willing to deal on a delayed basis. I'll give you money today for something tomorrow. Like there's a, you know, to create leverage in the system and credit and big growth or capital, like you need trust. And I actually formularize, I have a formula for innovation, which is trust is 50% and then 30% passion, blah, blah, blah. But trust is the single biggest component of innovation and probably how big systems work well. Uh. And that's, and trust can only be built over time. Like we don't have trust because we don't know each other yet, but we'll be very trusty in years when we're best friends, right? We have a lot of experience with each other through good and bad times. And we have good and bad experiences with each other in those times. So if we know each other 10 years, which is to me a cycle of possible something happening that's not planned, which is why I think of a career as 10 years. So you could build trust with someone through a cycle where you go through a good, a bad, a war, a win, and the more things you do that are trust building in a tough time, that's the real. So institutionally, it's no different. If you're an institution that's been around, how do you keep the institutional knowledge of the mistakes and how to treat people well to perform and get paid for an outcome? Like whether it's a person building trust or an institution being trusted or people in an institution. But so like I worked at Goldman, which, you know, every all industries and companies go through moments, but it's a longstanding institution that's been generally pretty trusted to do things over 150 plus years, right? There's something to me in the system of Goldman that has an institutional memory of trust where they just figure it out in certain moments in time and the organization powers through, through trust. Sometimes it's let's hunker down. Sometimes it's let's innovate. Sometimes it's let's divide and conquer, but it's like a Spartan group of people that just kind of have like, history together. What is the story there? Because Goldman is a special company in the banking world. What what do you think is the pervasive thread that keeps them so uh, dominant? Survival. I mean, they, they, they started as a, you know, an investment bank in New York, I think, you know, based on like markets that people didn't care as much about commercial paper and 
fixed income things and then the depression hits and somehow they survive, right? JP Morgan, Goldman, like some survive, not many did. So they made it through the war, mm. right? And then they came out in the 50s, 60s as a strong, small partnership. And then they just built a very good firm over years. They bought J. Aaron and, uh, you know, at a time which made them a big player in commodities, which gave them a physical and a financial presence early. It, you know, I joined in 94 when it was a partnership. It was a very tight-knit, like, collaborative flat firm that was about outcomes that were mutual with the industry and clients. Mm. And it just was a loop of, you know, innovation, uh, outcomes that were capital formation and then ultimately wealth creation, you know, for a lot of people. Whether, and wealth could be stock market gains or getting paid at Goldman or companies being able to finance themselves. Yeah. M&A deals. Yeah. Do they talk about that with their employees? Would they like, uh, you know, make sure every oh, yeah. employee knows no, the story? Never, yeah, you know the history. But again, I, I, I grew up there when it was a partnership. We went public. I was there 18 years. You know, things have changed. Maybe the world's gotten a bit different and complicated. Certainly, 08 changed a lot. Um, but, you know, and that's the other thing, like 87, 94, 98, 01, and 08, you know, I've been through many financial crises in different ways, which are also, you know, impactful like the other um, events. Yeah. Like in crisis, you know, I, I was very involved in the subprime markets, you know, when I, you know, based on some of the work I did. You know, I, so I, I could see quite- you making a, uh, you ever watch that video by Ray Dalio on YouTube about uh, credit and debt cycles? It's pretty popular. I, I think something like, well over 10 million. Yeah, no, I did. A, I actually did a brief spot with Bloomberg Radio uh, at a conference once about my view that we've been in a 40-year rate bull market and a 20-year credit bull market. Um, you know, 08 was like a blip of an interruption in credit expansion, and it's just really gotten much bigger since 08. Maybe it's better or worse. I don't know, but it's definitely more debt. And, you know, usually things correct at some point, so... My view is 08 was almost like a warning that the credit market could go. And now we've sort of, you know, built it up to a very big point in, you know, 14 years. The later. credit market, meaning how much debt we have, that there's bonds, loans, like there's many forms of debt. And there's a lot of debt that's not true debt. It's like an unfunded liability of, say, a, you know, a Medicare system or a pension plan in a state in the, in the U.S. And do you do you share the perspective that it's a, a unsustainable direction that the u.s financial system is in or do you think it's just a c- course I think, correction? again I, I really believe we have you know a really phenomenal country u.s and an amazing markets and we figure it out and all of that good stuff you know my first career is in muni banking uh doing public power project finance and um you know i think the you know and i've seen this sort of uh you know, both infrastructure not getting funded in the country properly, whether it's power plants, grids. I was a power banker, so I went through the whole deregulation and all of that of power. And, and you know, but I was already out of. I left banking in Muni's in '98, so I, I saw the deregulation of the market. I saw Muni's, um, you know, as as public power, um, you know, providers. It was, uh, you know, that was the '90s and. You know, we haven't built more nuclear. We don't have more hydro. You know, the grid, as we know, is pretty fragile. Um, so I think about my experience 25 years ago, and it's now today. You know, we're just getting around maybe to, you know, properly uh, funding our infrastructure again. Um, you know, we have the whole, you know, technology layer on top of that. And we're in a bit of a global race ec- economically to, to really have the new infrastructure, which is quantum AI down, yeah. not... You know, with, with trains and buses and 
planes and trucks too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you need to ship the rare earth minerals to make the, f- in the fabs to get the self-driving cars moving. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing. Do you, uh, have a bug out house where it's like, you got enough, you got a farm with, uh, enough food for a year or- <laughs> So I'm, uh, so in 2000, in 2006, seven, I started to get a little nervous about credit and I was not, I wasn't la- I, I had a view and I'm like, stuff seems a little bubbly. I didn't realize how bubbly it was to be honest. It obviously blew up in a bad way in 08, but in 09, I just decided like, you know, whether it's blackouts or natural disaster or climate change or financial blow up or social unrest or religious challenges or global economic, you know, competition, you know, things are going to get really violent and crazy and volatile, really volatile and unpredictable. So I just said, I'm going to get prepared. And I got prepared starting in 09. Um, so I definitely have a plan ish. Uh, I think I'm the, one of the more prepared people in financial services and one of the least prepared preppers. <laughs> what does that practically mean? Is that like a, a, a cabin somewhere? I don't know. I can, I can only come up with seven uses of a rattlesnake, not 12. <laughs> <laughs> off the grid. Yeah. No, but it's, you know, but there's really a skill set. I grew up, you know, doing things a bit more physically, you know, just more manual, you know, from just not hard labor, but, you know, real work and it's hard and there's a skill there. And, you know, I just don't think people know how to do a lot. And that's the basic art of being prepped is like, can you change your light bulb slash install anything slash grow something maybe even? Yeah. Yeah. And it would do it without YouTube. That's the, that's the trick. The statistic that amazed me is like in the early 1900s, I think it was one person was fed by eight farmers and now it's a hundred people are fed by three farmers. Sounds right. Yeah. As, as society gets. And, and, we're so, and we're so detached from where our food is made and who does it. It's just like this. It's just, it just comes in our boxes, in our homes. And then we put the cardboard somewhere in the ocean and it comes back mm. in our fish. Yeah. It does feel like as society optimizes for something, you're, you're always, there's always trade-offs, right? It's like you can be super yeah, optimized. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I think we figured out with COVID, like things get physical quickly when things matter. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So the virtual is great. The meta is great. The symphony chats are awesome. But ultimately, like we got to do work together. You know, there's a hybrid world of multiverse coming. We're going to provide some of it, as you know. Well, Brad, man, I, I love this. I love, I love everywhere this went. Um, I, I, I think you're one of the most well versed, uh, think creative thinkers I've ever talked to on this show. Wow. Uh, I think that well, your, your, your mind incorporates such a wide web of, uh, understanding. Most people run their company. I'm going to, I'm going to give you one book. Yeah. By the way, I have a nonsense website called bradfordlevy.com, which I spun up. I just, I decided at one point, I'm like, I'm going to put something on the web to talk shenanigans just because I had never, and uh, I put some LinkedIn posts out, but it's bradfordlevy.com. And there's just, I didn't build it out, but there's one area on books and one book is range, uh, David Epstein. And it's uh, why generalists thrive in a specialist world. Ooh, I like that. And if you really look at people that really run things or drive things or innovate, I'm not talking about myself, but I've always thought of, I need range. I need diversity. Uh, and my, my, one of my first mentor bosses was like, are they rangy? We use that word. Like, do they have range? Can they do Excel PowerPoint? Can they do a deal and understand a trade and build a system? Like, and when you look at the people that really do big things, they've, they've got range. So that book talks about like, we're forced into these boxes, but you need range to just, so I try to, anyway, 
bring a lot together to form a story from a lot of different areas. But I, again, I steal tremendous amounts from people. Yeah. Well, as you have to, you know, you, you can't figure this stuff out on your own. It's machine learning and I'll just try to sound predictive, but I'm not really. Well, the magic is in the combination. The magic is not in the, you're not digging stuff out of the ground anymore. Now we're combining ideas together in new ways that are interesting. It's all Vens on Vens on Vens on orthogonal cubist, you know, uh, multiverse interstellar feeling type connections. Like, yeah. Again, it's all looping. So yeah, this has been great. I really appreciate the uh, the opportunity. Yeah, no, another one I'll just throw out there was the the opt. I read this recently, so it's top of mind. The Rational Optimist by Matt Ridley. It's kind of a s- similar concepts, I think, in that it's uh, looking at how how innovation works, how evolution of technology works. He's just an awesome writer, and really enjoyed that one. No, it sounds like thank you for being late. Novacine, stri- uh, rational. It's the same. Like it's happening. Figure it out a bit, and it actually can be kind of yeah. you know enlightening or not killing. Yeah. And I think one of the most optimistic views on this is that it's the reality of it is that it's available to anyone that has an internet connection. I mean, you no longer need like, what is the cost? It's never been easier to start a company, never been harder to grow it, but it is relatively, I mean, free, you know, to get started and create stuff. So I go back to, I go back to Napster. Now I could publish my Spotify favorites like in a second. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy man! Wild world we live in. Well, I'd love to do maybe we'll uh, we'll do like uh, some sort of cadence here. We have you back on and we get your annual take on things. And I'll be uh, yeah. Like I'm fun. always happy to uh, blather on and spout on, as my wife says, uh, pontificate or you know, whatever, <laughs> just be guy putting it out there. But yeah, I'm I'm happy to uh, you know engage whenever you want. Interesting, cool man. Interesting well, line of question. Congrats on all the progress with the business, and uh, hope to have you back someday, man. Yeah, thank you so much. Stay balanced. It's important. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. For the ones finding new ways to ensure the job always gets done. For the ones wearing many hats. For the ones who are hands-on, even from far away. And the ones keeping business moving forward. We are Granger, Offering professional-grade industrial supplies, plus real-time product availability and access to experts ready to answer your toughest questions. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.